Hello and welcome to AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I'm your host, John S. Today's episode features the compelling story of Mike M. Mike was sober for 10 years, working the steps and going to meetings, but relapsed. Today he's sober and happy, successful and serene, and he does it all without God. Hey Mike, how you doing? Thank you for uh, agreeing to come on AA Beyond Belief. Oh, it's my pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. I always enjoy these conversations. And um, I, I was talking to you a little bit last week, and it seems like your experience is somewhat similar to mine. Most of the people that we've had on um, AA Beyond Belief that have had a story to tell, most of them actually were non-believers from the beginning, from childhood, and they they went into AA as non-believers. But your story is a little bit different. Why don't you start by just telling us a bit of your story, following the typical AA formula of what of what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, and we'll just take it from there. Sure, that sounds good, John. So um, what it was like for me was uh, very difficult. <laughs> I, I started drinking at an early age. My first time in rehab, uh, I was 18 years old. My first time in jail, I was 18 years old also, and, and I needed to and deserved to be in both places. Um, so my first exposure to Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, I was, I was actually quite young and that was quite a long time ago. I guess, I guess the best thing I can say is that I love alcohol. I, I love the effect that it produced in me. And, um, I chased that for a lot of years. It didn't, it wasn't always as bad as it became, it seemed to progress over time. Uh, but when it ended up eventually happening was, um, I ended up getting married joining the army, hoping that they would sober me up. And uh, mm -hmm. actually, that uh, didn't work out. And um, though I was honorably discharged from the army, um, it was just by the skin of my teeth. So what would end up happening is I, I had a wife who I loved very much, and we had a couple of kids, and I really wanted to be sober. Uh, many times I would go to Alcoholics Anonymous. I would try to get sober. I could never get any more than, than 30 or 60 days though and what would happen is i had an eraser in my mind it seemed like and it would erase the reasons that i was going to never drink again mm -hmm. and then what would come to memory would be that feeling that euphoric feeling i would get after about the second or third drink when it uh, just goes to the bottom of your toes and back up to your head and you get that ah mm -hmm. sense of um well-being you know, like yeah. you, you belong and everything's okay with the world. And it was, a um, it was something I craved more than, than anything else, I suppose, is, is that feeling. Uh, and, and eventually I, I would always overshoot the mark and, and a su successful night of drinking for me was sitting in front of the TV. I would say, okay, tonight I'm only going to drink a 12 pack and I'm going to sit in front of the TV and there's not going to be any, any chaos. And if I passed out in front of the television, having only drank a 12 pack, mm -hmm. that was a successful night of drinking for me. The problem was that, uh, it, I would get ideas once the buzz came on and the ideas mm -hmm. would be to go out or to drive. Yeah. And by doing that, I picked up four drunk drivings. And wow. as I reflect on it, I spent literally four and a half years of my adult life in drunk driving class. Yeah. Wow. You know what? I had that experience. I had three DUIs in a three year period. And you're exactly right because, you know, when you get a DWI, it takes it takes forever to go through that thing. You got to go through your drunk driving schools. You got to do all the court stuff. 
And um, yeah, it's like it's a it's a huge <laughs> a huge huge drag on your time. Um, so what era was that? What 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 was that like? The eighties, the nineties? That was the uh, the nineties. Okay, so the laws were pretty tough then on DWI. Uh, fairly tough. I mean, they allowed you to get in California. They allowed you to get uh, two in any seven year period of time, and the third mm-hmm. would become a, a, a felony. Right. And so I always managed to have two in a seven year period of time. Uh, One would fall off. I'd get the third, and so they'd give you a year and a half of DUI class and some jail time and community service and you know but that was the price you paid you know that was the price you paid for drinking and and if you're like me and um i was willing to pay the price yeah and eventually the price became too steep you know my 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 wife who am i i loved um uh, one day decided uh, that was enough i was never gonna never gonna change and 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 i was beginning to embarrass her publicly in a in a small town uh and bring down some real difficulty on our family and and she left and then it was really on i thought uh, to myself at first i thought well she's wrong and i can drink now as much as i want to and how i want to and it's not going to be that bad but it did turn out to be um insane really insane and i spent the next year um rotating in and out of jail uh nothing serious but you know drunken public and and threats and fights and and that feeling you know you wake up the next day and you you you've got a knot on your forehead and a hole in your pants and blood on your jeans and and then the memories start to just very gradually come back from the night before and that shame of sitting there and thinking about that and going oh my i can't believe i did that i can't believe i did it again and and living like that living with that and after she left me i i I would uh start to be well i i'd learned that it was uh, more comfortable in a in a psychiatric institution than it was in jail and so i would you know feign being nuts when they arrested me Mm -hmm. for some drunken incident and and end up there Mm-hmm. Uh, after one incident there, I, um, I I was discharged at two o'clock in the morning, and they had discharged me with four prescriptions, uh, one of which was Ativan, a pretty serious tranquilizer. And I remember sitting in the hospital waiting room. This was not the public one. I was all alone. Uh, it was dark, and they had filled my prescription at the hospital pharmacy. And I remember sitting there and thinking, uh, "It's never going to be any different for me. Uh, it's never going to change." I know that when I leave here, I'm going to start drinking again, humiliating myself, and I would rather cease to be yeah. than continue this. And I took yeah. I took all four prescriptions, mm-hmm. um, and and that night I I um, um, ceased breathing. I remember oh, the Lord. tunnel closing in, and I ceased to be. <laughs> and mm-hmm. apparently what happened is that somebody found me at that time and and they used the uh, crash cart I know this because of the medical bills but they used the crash cart four times to bring me back to life and I was on a, uh, a life support machine for a couple of weeks wow my my father was standing over me when I came to and um the first words out of my mouth were oh shit I'm still here mm. And, and, and that actually happened again after they discharged me in his care and they brought me back to life once again. Wow. And, uh, I really reached that place where 
I couldn't um, I couldn't live with alcohol. I couldn't live without alcohol. The jumping off place that they talk about in the big book, and and um, it had become so bad for me that that I was willing to jump. Wow. I um. Wow. This is really getting me. I um. Yeah. I, I I haven't. I never got to the point that you were. I mean, as far as actually doing doing it, but um. I was contemplating all the time. And, um, the last, the day of my last drunk, I was standing on a bridge contemplating jumping and, uh, after getting out of jail from a drunk driving arrest. And, um, I decided no to cross the bridge and get, get to my home and called AA that day. But, um, when I eventually got the big book and I read about that jumping off place, the great jumping off place, yeah. it, um, I could really relate to it. And still to this day, when I hear somebody like you just tell your story and mention that, it touches me deeply. It's a very, um, personal thing. I, I totally relate to where you're coming from. P- pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Yeah, and I know that you didn't start out in life wanting wanting this kind of life for yourself. I certainly didn't. I never could have imagined as a kid being a type of person who gets thrown in jail on a regular basis, but that's what I became. No, it's it. Uh, I never saw that for myself, and 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 in fact had a, uh, an impression of myself that was something different than the reality of myself. You know, I Same here. I was a man full of good intentions. Yeah, um, but you know they they didn't they they weren't physical and they weren't real and so it produced bad actions yep so uh you know i i some time after that i mean the show continued even after that but some time after that i i ended up in a men's sober living home uh, okay. down in orange county and um shared a room i had lost everything i was uh, my business had the been taken and um, I lost my wife. She had a restraining order so that I didn't even know where my children live. And I had, uh, I was at this men's sober living home. I had three warrants for my arrest. No, no, you know, bad guy stuff. Just, right. just, you know, if you don't show up to court, they kind of, exactly. they don't appreciate it. I had that all the time. I, I had a, a drawer full of beating tickets, red light tickets, whatever, that I never answered. So eventually, yes, they arrest you for this. Yeah. So I, I had nothing, and I shared a room with uh, three other guys. And um, for the first time in my life at a meeting, I had done something that I'd never done. And I had literally been to thousands of meetings uh, from the age of 17 till 33 uh, to no real effect. You know, um, I never really got involved, but this time I asked a little old man if he would help me and he said that he would. And, and he did. And he took me through the steps and that, that was the first time that I'd worked the steps. And I became very actively involved in meetings and going to them with frequency. But more than that, uh, putting my hand out, getting to know people, going to dinner beforehand. Um, I suppose I, I became part of the community and the obsession to drink after a couple months left me. And it stayed gone for a long time. I, I went to work for a company. Uh, and this, this uh, old man said, uh, congratulations on your job. What are you doing, son? And I said, well, I'm doing this at a company. He says, you never know. Someday you may be president of that company if you stay mm-hmm. sober. And I thought, you crazy old coot. That's nuts. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and then my sponsor, he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm doing this and this and I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to do this. And he said, stop. He said, mm-hmm. your job is to serve the people around you mm-hmm. and to not think about yourself all the time and what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And I followed his advice and I went from being a low level com- uh, employee in that company 
company to eventually being the CEO of that company over a period of eight years, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty remarkable given that I had no college education or anything yeah, like that. AA worked um, um, extraordinarily well for me. I stayed free of that obsession to drink. I married a woman in Alcoholics Anonymous um, who is my wife to this day and um, really was a walking poster board for the promises. Um, but it, what happened? You mentioned something, Mike, earlier. You said um, that, you know, you were, you went through a period of time where you never really felt a part of the fellowship, I guess. You never really felt like you were engaged. But then something did happen where you, you really became involved. And I've read that that is really the key, is as soon as a person feels that they belong, that they're part of AA, that gives them a chance. But if you feel like you're an outsider, it's very, very difficult. I I completely agree with you, and and but that requires effort too. Yeah, it does. And um and and in in many cases, it's not a comfortable effort for us. It's not for That's me. Right. I, I it's tough. I I'm not outgoing. I don't want to put my hand out. I don't want to experience the you know awkwardness of new friendships. I don't want to be accountable to people. Right. But if I want to stay sober, I have to do those things. You do. And it's an effort. It's it's something that I have to force myself to do to this day. I'm the very same way. And I think a lot of us are because I know for me, I, one, one thing that got me to drink in the first place is it loosened me up. It enabled me to have conversations, be the life of the party, you know. Um, but I was actually a very introverted and shy person. And I was never a type of person that would join groups yep. or, or ask for help or anything like that. So thank Things had to be pretty bad for me as they were for you and most of us to actually get to that point where we're willing we're willing to reach out and, and open up to other people. So anyway, you got involved, you got you got a sponsor, and you went through the steps. Mm-hmm. Now at this time, okay, what was your impression of the steps is when you saw God all over, and and where were you coming from at that time as a from your belief system? Yeah, at the, at that time I was um I was all in, and I was willing to do whatever it took. Stay sober. I didn't have any beliefs one way or another uh, about God, but through the steps I got this freedom from the obsession to drink, and and I ascribed that to uh, this God that I I believed I had found in. The step mm-hmm. and um so my my uh initial belief system was quite quite rigid like a lot of new people in alcoholics anonymous we we mm-hmm. um you know after a short period of time we're quoting the book you know and 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 in a lot of ways trying to be the most spiritual guy in the room you know sitting a little uh-huh. higher and i sat a little higher in my chair because i you know, was more godly than you. Yeah, that is so obnoxious. I, I <laughs> but I was like that. Yeah, I was, I was the, I was the obnoxious guy. There's one way. Uh, you do it the one way. You don't dare speak about any way but the one way. And you know, it, it's amazing to me at that time. I was part of the fortunate five percent. That's the. Mm. I was one of the ones, you know, who come to Alcoholics Anonymous and get it and stay for a while. I was part of part of the fortunate five percent, and I. I didn't have any tolerance for the other 95%. The guy who came and left, 
the guy who came over and over again and left, the guy who relapsed repeatedly. I, I suppose that um, I, I didn't have uh, empathy for them because if they'd just done it like me, then they'd right. get what I got. And that's kind of the culture of AA, which is really kind of weird because um, you, when a person goes to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, you're going you're gonna to have people that will help you and do anything in the world to help you stay sober. But if you relapse and you're and you're gone, it's you know that's just the way it is, and they they they'll turn their attention to someone who actually you know wants help. I mean, it's it's almost even written in our book. It's like you, you don't don't waste too much time on the guy who doesn't want the program. Spend your time on the person who wants help. So yeah, it's it's kind of uh kind of it's like a tough love thing, I guess, in AA where you just kind of and maybe it's maybe we need that because there's a lot of people that that I've known over the years who've died, and uh, maybe maybe that's a a way of shielding yourself from that kind of uh, pain or uh, feeling any sense of responsibility maybe i don't know i think it's a bit dogmatic too i, I think it's yeah it's just you know there's a line you toe the line there is nothing else but the line right and um you know in in order to have full acceptance and you almost think in order to be you know liked and revered you you have to be the strongest proponent of that line and that seems to be the the yardstick uh or I thought so. I mean, I don't know how much of this is just erroneous thinking on my part and how much of it's reality. You know, there are a lot of characters. Well, I relate people. to it. I relate to it because I was the same way. I mean, and, and, and it was, could have been my fault. I don't know. But yeah, I started, um, I started quoting the damn book all the time because that's all we ever did. And the, the, I, I knew how to say things that would get positive reactions from the people in the room. And I felt accepted. Yeah, and the, uh, there's also, you know, sort of building a palette of all the cool things you've you've heard, right. and and uh, so much of what I hear is is just regurgitated cool things that somebody heard someplace else. Right. And and um, and I suppose I I was I was really a part of that too. But you know, I changed my life also, and mm -hmm. and I did a lot of the slogans that they had in AA that I look at a bit differently today you know i acted as if and and tried to keep it simple and you know stopped obsessing uh a morbid reflection and learned that intention wasn't action you know all, all of those things produced really significant results in my life but then i i started dabbling with well really i wanted uh, more of the god buzz and so i'm i'm reading eastern mysticism and getting involved in buddhism and all of these things and and um and meditating and 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 I remember reading a portion of I think it was Bill as Bill sees it he says that AA is but spiritual kindergarten mm -hmm. and and as I succeeded I thought you know I don't need AA anymore uh, I've graduated and I stopped going to uh, meetings and I stopped talking to my sponsor because he'd want to know the why I wasn't going to meetings and um, I, I guess what happened was I forgot how bad it can be mm -hmm. and after uh, almost ten years of sobriety I, I i drank again mm -hmm. and it did turn out to be the same as it was before and in in pretty short order i got a fifth drunk driving 
God. You know, I'm married to a woman in Alcoholics Anonymous, and our, our, you know, ours is a sober marriage, so this was not cool. And I put her through, you know, real difficulty. I, I wanted to get sober again. I wanted to be sober. I saw my life slipping through my fingers, and there's something about drinking after you've had a period of time uh, being sober. Um, there's a clarity. You know, when I first came to AA drinking, my whole, it was a fog. You know, I didn't process, mm-hmm. I didn't notice, I wasn't paying attention to my decline it was just life it was the way things Mm. were but when you drink after a long period of sobriety uh you're present for your destruction you're there you're right there you know what's happening you know what's gonna happen you know she's gonna leave you you know that you're gonna lose your position yeah and i i i actually had a contract uh because they'd done a background check with the the hedge fund that had had bought my business and i was the ceo of that company that said that i couldn't drink and if i did i would lose all my options and that drink was a 20 million dollar drink that i took and anyway my um i i would go to aa i found the the most difficult sponsor i thought i gotta recreate the first experience i have if i want to get sober again and i got the guy involved in hospitals and institutions work the the biggest step nazi i could find (laughs) and i worked with him and i went through the steps again there was no freedom from the obsession to drink i went to panel i went to meetings uh all the time but i i I couldn't reconnect again i was just the dumb shit who had lost 10 years you know, there's that, that yardstick and I used to be somewhere, you know, higher up on the yardstick and now I was at the very bottom. And, and I would get, I would get a period of time sobriety, 30 or 60 days and I would say, and the obsession would come on and I would say, oh, screw it. It's not 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, and by doing this, the days just added up and the months added up and and before you know it she's going to leave me and and i lose my house and i'm no longer have the business i've been uh, gotten rid of and it it ended up being uh the same but with one key difference and that was that the formula didn't work for me this time and i tried I, i i wanted to believe in in, in that there was some power that was going to restore me to sanity and and it and it just didn't so were you thinking during that time mike were you were you kind of evolving to become a non-believer or were you not even thinking about that or why i wasn't or i wasn't even thinking about that I, mm-hmm. I i didn't choose non-belief uh it came to me mm-hmm. you know and it, and it was a process but so i ended up in in Moving to New Hampshire of all places after going there on a business trip and at that meeting that I went to, I had drank before. I was going to mm-hmm. drink after, um, loved getting away from the house because my <laughs> wife wouldn't dog me for drinking. And I went to a meeting and, and, uh, this funny, funny guy shared, yeah, but I'm sitting at the table and I'm telling the people there, I'm having a really hard time. I'm going to drink, uh, you know, and I need help. And, but I, I ended up at the, at the end of the meeting getting in my car and I was sitting there with my hands on the steering wheel and I, remember thinking i'm gonna go get drunk nobody gives a shit and AA's not the way it used to be where they used to take you under their wing and help you out and screw aa and mm-hmm. and at that time there was a knock on the window and it was fred it was the funny guy the speaker with the big gap in his teeth and he, mm-hmm. and, and and he said to me 
how about we go get some coffee? And I did with Fred and, and Fred, um, became my friend. Fred, um, he used to get on the cell phone with as I was walking through the airport because I'd never been able to make it through an airport sober. And, and he would walk me all the way to the plane, closing the door and keep me on the phone with him. Mm-hmm. And he took me to, to, to meetings and Fred never talked about God. He didn't talk, uh, about God one way or another. It just never came up. Mm-hmm. He didn't take me through the steps. Mm-hmm. He didn't say you have to go through the steps again. You're an idiot, you know, beginner. And yeah. every bit of your experience from the past is of zero mm-hmm. value and doesn't count. He mm-hmm. just didn't talk that way. He said, look, we're just going to keep coming. We're going to keep going to meetings. And that's the way they do it on the East Coast, it seems. They say, keep coming. And there's a real emphasis on that. Yep. And uh, there wasn't, it's, it's not an intense level of, of dogma uh, uh, in mm-hmm. New Hampshire. You know, mm-hmm. you, you just, you go to meetings, you put your hand out, you make friends. And I did. And I realized that one of the reasons that I couldn't get sober again back in California is I viewed myself again as the dumbass who'd lost 10 years. But in this, in this new environment, I could start fresh. And I did what I, I realized I couldn't do this alone. Um, God wasn't answering my prayers. And I needed people. I needed mm-hmm. Fred and I needed these other people. And, and I made friends of them. Mm-hmm. And um, got involved. And uh, eventually the, the freedom from the obsession to drink came again. I didn't think that would happen. I, I thought that, you know, once you get the gift and you turn your back on it, you're never going to get it again. And and I honestly thought that AA couldn't work for me uh, anymore because, you know, I had um, I had all the God goodies I was ever going to get and I was never going to get any more. But what I yeah. found was, what I found was actually that I did get sober and um, I did it without a God. Okay. Uh, I did get freedom from the obsession to drink, which stays with me to this day, six years later. And I did it without a God. Right. I did get the promises. I got a sense of well-being. I guess we call it serenity in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and I did that without a God. Mm-hmm. And um, so I suppose to some extent it's been quite a bit different this time. And, and before this, this, you know, conversation with you, I had, I, I was thinking about what we would, you know, what the call might be like. Mm-hmm. And I remembered, um, I remembered that spiritual experience appendix in the back of the book mm-hmm. and how it, you know, was added, uh, quite a bit, quite a long time after the book was published. That's right. That's right. And it's almost like they 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 tried to do a bit of a cleanup job, you know, to, to, mm-hmm. to say yes, the the book talks about these radical experiences, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the way it is. Right. And it said that you have to have a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. Right. And and I suppose my getting involved was a personality change sufficient to bring about a recovery, but a lot of the the slogans too as I look back on them like I I've had to um, sort of say, well, why why did you get sober the first time? What were the things that worked? What can you carry forward? And and what actually happened? I mean, if there is no supernatural power, then what was it that you did that worked? And why did it work? And I look back at some of these things, and one of them, it says, turn it over or let go and let God. And what is that if there is no God? But stop obsessing over things. Stop beating your yourself up stop 
thinking in a way that that is harmful to yourself. And really, that's what I did. When I turned it over, I stopped thinking about it. Absolutely. You can let go. You can turn it over. And it doesn't mean you have to turn it over to something. Um, I remember years ago, I was in this meditation group. And I'm not a great meditator or anything. But I learned that um, in meditation that my thoughts are just going to happen. They're going to pop up out of my head. But I don't necessarily have to hang on to them or cling on to them. You can just watch them drift by as if they're clouds in the sky. And that's kind of how I let go now. I just understand that I don't have to hang on to my thoughts. I can let them go. Doesn't mean I have to turn them over to God and God <laughs> does something with them. But I can just let it go. Yeah, yeah. Same same here. And, and I, I took that from uh, uh, Buddhism, which, by the way, mm-hmm. was, was the study of Buddhism was one of the main things that brought me to uh, the inability to believe believe in God. The the notion in Buddhism that there is no concrete fixed self, yeah. that uh, you are transitory. And and it's interesting, you know, Buddha never talked about God either. Uh, and, and he begged his followers not to make him one uh, on his deathbed. Hmm. Interesting fact. But they, uh, keep coming back. That was another big message. And that didn't have anything to do with God. Mm-hmm. Keep your side of the street clean. Yep. You hear that all the time. Didn't have anything to do with God. And resentment is the number one offender. Yeah. God, I believe all that stuff. I do too. I do too. But what I had to do is take personal responsibility for my own mental hygiene. Mm-hmm. And and that meant that, that I couldn't just always think what I wanted, think about myself, obsess over my problem. I had to make changes to the way I thought that were sufficient to bring around about that personality change. Yep. And there's effort You're- required in that. Absolutely. And you know what? This is what drives me crazy because you were basically, you're, you're talking about all the stuff in the steps. This is what we actually do. And it's the same damn thing as the people who believe in a God. And I just wish that they could see it's these actions that we're taking. It's these things that we're doing. It's the people in the room and call it whatever you want, whether you call it a spiritual experience or what, but we're essentially we're doing the same things. We, we are. And that's, um, you know, when, when you, when you drink after uh, a long period of time sober and, and you're fortunate enough to get sober again, you, I really don't ever want to drink again. I don't yeah. want to drink again. And so for me, I've taken this very seriously. Uh, and I've applied a lot of thought to reflection as to what worked for me. What do I need to salvage? What do I need to make a part of my life? What really happened? You know, a, a yeah. measure of reflection. I think that when you're just coming in new or you're an atheist from birth and mm-hmm. you, you come, you know, you come in that way, um, doesn't necessarily occur. So I've, I really have right. had to look back and, and, and see what worked. I did the same thing, and it's an amazing experience it, to really stop and think, what does this mean to me? What did I do? What was my experience? Mm-hmm. And to, to rethink the whole thing, not, not, you know, not just the way it is in the book or the way that you think that people want you to say it, but just from your own personal experience. And that's really what it's all about. But I think everybody should do that. Think about the program. Sometimes, sometimes in AA, we kind of put down thinking, but I think, uh, I think thinking is good, especially when, when it comes to your recovery. You really have to stop and think, what does this mean? What, what worked for me? Right. And, and I, I, I feel like to some extent we are not giving people all the skills that they need to stay. So, 
sober. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the sobriety rates, the success rates really are abysmal. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, we're, we're rooms filled of the fortunate 5% who really aren't spending enough time thinking about how we can broaden that right. to the 95%. That's right. Because dogma doesn't work for everybody. That's right. And, and some people do need some skills. How do I get rid of resentment? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, 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 and if the praying doesn't work, work, uh, how do I get rid of them then? Um, and, you know, you just, you, you, the most impactful messages that I've received from, from AA and AA members over time, as I look back on them, really, they're, they're, you're perfectly capable of, of doing them without any supernatural assistance at all. I, I've got another one here. Feelings aren't facts. That was very helpful to me in, in, in mm. sobriety. Uh, but that, that really, all of it is coming back to taking responsibility for your own thinking and your own mental hygiene because if you don't do it nobody's going to do it for you i uh, um today um i have become successful in business again mm-hmm. uh and and that was hard work risk taking mm-hmm. sacrifice but you know in in my prior life i would pray and then good things would happen or bad things would happen yeah. and if the good thing happened god got all the credit right but i haven't prayed and i have still become successful again my marriage is is it's it should be the envy of all marriages yeah <laughs> um it's magnificent um my children are happy. Mm-hmm. I am peaceful. I am serene and peaceful almost all of the time. Mm-hmm. And that's not a gift from from some supernatural being. It's right. something that I've worked for and I protect and I cherish. You know, the the, the difference of going from um, active alcoholism to sobriety is so dramatic, and our lives improve so tremendously. And we we realize that as we're getting sober, and we're amazed by it. We're just amazed by how different things are. I know, I know, I was when I was going through the steps the traditional way as a believer or trying to believe. Um, when my life changed in in ways I never expected, I just had to attribute it to something outside of myself. I thought, well, I must be having a spiritual experience. But do you know that even in the big book, I think it warns about this, and maybe it's in the 12 and 12, not to mistake emotionalism or uh, emotional response or something for spirituality. And I think I did to a certain extent, you know, because I was so happy with what my life had become that I thought, well, this has to be God. And no, it doesn't. (laughs) No, it doesn't. And I I suppose that that's part of why I believe that your podcast and what you're doing is is so important because there there are so many people coming to Alcoholics Anonymous, particularly the younger generations who've yeah. had significant access to information, to scientific theory, for whom evolution is a fact. Uh, yep. And and um, I think it's it's becoming increasingly difficult. For them to swallow a purely dogmatic message. Oh, it's crazy. We it just drives me nuts. I mean, we're we're, we're giving these people um, a book from the 1930s. You know, uh, these people who grew up on the internet. You know, it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. I'm almost embarrassed sometimes that um, we expect we expect people these people to relate to that book. Um, it's it's ridiculous. I it, it drives me nuts. That that's why I'm still in AA though because I want to, someday I want to see a a book that is um, 
contemporary, written in our own language for this, the people of this century, that deals with the program of recovery. And I, I, I don't care if that, if that book has some mention of God for the people that have God in their life, but it also has to have room for the people, the secular people that don't have a God. It does. And, and there, you know, I don't care if you believe mm-hmm. in God or if you don't believe in God. Mm-hmm. Um, what I care about is I care about the newcomer. I, yeah. I care about the new person, uh, court ordered or otherwise, coming to Alcoholics Anonymous and finding it broad and accepting enough to want to come back. Yeah. And I, I, um, unfortunately, I feel like the hand of AA is there mm-hmm. if you believe what we say, uh, repeat what we say, and do what we say. Yeah, I know. And it, 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 we, we're supposed to be a broad and inclusive organization, accepting of of all people, regardless of, well, regardless of their belief systems. Uh, it's not important to me whether you believe in God or not. And it should be unimportant to you whether I don't. It's popular in meetings nowadays to put down the fellowship, to say you can't be sober on the fellowship alone. It's, it's, we're dismissing the most important part of AA, and that's the people. It's us. It's not our ideas. It's, 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 it's not our philosophy. It's us helping each other. And if we would, if we would just focus on that, I mean, that's the greatest strength of Alcoholics Anonymous. When somebody needs help, when they're at a low point in their life, there's hundreds of people in their city that will help them. But the help has to come from caring. It, it shouldn't come from preaching and, and saying that these, this is, these are the very strict rules that you must follow. That's what AA's become, unfortunately, in a lot of places. Um, it, it is, it is unfortunate. I, I just feel really grateful personally that when I landed in New Hampshire, um, there was Fred. Yeah. And, and Fred saved my life. He just died a couple of months ago. Mm. And, but he saved my life and he saved my life because he knocked on my window and he took his time and he went to coffee with me. And he saved my life because he got, he pulled up his car and he said, let's go to a meeting. And he saved my life because he was unselfish enough to get on the cell phone, to recognize I had a problem with airport, and to Mm -hmm. get on his cell phone and walk me through that airport. He gave me his time. He gave me his friendship. He was committed to my sobriety, I to his, and we developed a bond that helped us both stay sober. Mm -hmm. And and Fred didn't require that I I believe in a particular thing. Mm -hmm. He didn't require that I recite things in just the right way. He didn't uh, critique my sharing. You know, so many of the difficult things with with AA nowadays, I uh, didn't have with him. And I I feel really fortunate that uh, um, a man like that was placed in my life. I now want to be that man. I want to be like him. I want to be the guy that doesn't have a whole bunch of opinion, doesn't require a particular dogma, but puts his hand out, lets you know he cares and is willing to give of 
to give up my time to let somebody know, hey, you're not alone. Yeah. I, I know where you've been. Uh, I know how it feels. I remember. And you're not alone. And, and we can do this together. Yeah. I try to do that, too. And I'm, I'm learning, too, Mike, that I need I need to accept that uh, not all of the newcomers are going to want that for whatever reason. And it drives me crazy. But they're really attracted sometimes to the guy who has the plan, the guy who says, you know, you follow these specific things, these directions, these rules, everything's going to be great. It drives me nuts. But people, there are people attracted to that. But I'm not that way. And I'm not going to be that way. And I, and it's the Freds in the world that make a difference. And that, that those are the people who made a difference in my life. Not the people who told me what to do, but just the people who cared. Yeah. Well, the people that tell you what to do, you know, they're right for 5%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're right for 5%. They were right for me the, the first time That's around. Yeah. For 5%, they're right. Yeah. But they, they fail to just as I failed to the first time around, recognize that there's a whole other 95% yeah. that we're not making room for in our fellowship because of our judgmental dogmatism. That's such a good point. It's not that, you're so right, it's not that that approach doesn't necessarily work. It works for a few people. It works for like the 5%. And I, but I wouldn't change there's a whole it. lot of people out there. I, I wouldn't change it. I no more want to shut them down than I want to be shut down by good them. point. That's a really good point. You know, there's, there's, there's room for that in, in Alcoholics Anonymous and it has worked with, with, um, a, a number of people, a lot of people. Now that's the challenge is to let those people understand because they're pretty, they're pretty uh, dogmatic in their approach and they might not necessarily like our approach. They might think that we're, we're full, we're full of it. And that's, that's, that's the thing is to get them to understand that, that we belong to. Well, it's, it gets back to, um, tolerance. Yeah. And and um unfortunately what I experience I experience more tolerance in a non-believer meeting mm -hmm. than I experience in in any of the meetings that aren't that kind. Yeah. And I think that we need to get back to the 12th step and recognizing that really what we're about is helping the suffering alcoholic mm -hmm. and and um, not with precondition helping the suffering alcoholic and if we're not broad and inclusive if we're not tolerant then um, as as time progresses it, it's likely to be a smaller and smaller portion of people with access to information the way we have it nowadays who are going to mm -hmm. come to AA and and, and uh, be willing to toe the line. So there's more and more of these secular groups now that are, you know, um, available to people. Here in Kansas City, we're, next month we'll have um, seven days a week where you can have a secular meeting. And this is happening all over. So that gives people options. And I think that will help grow AA. Oh, I agree. I went to one uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, in, in Palm mm -hmm. Beach, Florida, which is close mm -hmm. to where I, I live now. And... There, it's, it, there was no, um, there was really no mention of God. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't, uh, there was no negative talk about God, no positive talk about God, just no discussion of talk, uh, of God mm -hmm. at all. What there was, was a discussion of sobriety. Yep. How to stay sober. Uh, what sobriety has done for us. Uh, reflections on the way it was previously. And, and I need that. I need that mm -hmm. message. Uh, I don't, Feel, you know, it, coming to AA as a non-believer when you've been uh, in AA as a believer previously, it's scary. Yeah. Uh, because you've been told, uh, uh, 
you know, for so many years that without God, you're nothing. You, mm-hmm. you can't stay sober. You're not gonna, it's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I, so I, I, when you go to a meeting and you experience people with, with years, decades mm-hmm. of sobriety, um, and, and what appear to be good lives. I mean, they seem like peaceful, kind, nice people. I mean, they were very thoughtful before the meeting and very thoughtful after. And, mm-hmm. and, um, we shared some phone numbers in the same way that we do in AA. Um, but you, 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 um, that fear begins to sub- subside and, mm-hmm. and you start to realize I'm not powerless mm-hmm. and, and my sobriety is not contingent on the whim of a supernatural power completely beyond my ability to influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a sobriety today that I feel like has some real staying power, some foundation. It's, it's very likely that if I keep doing the things I'm doing, I'll keep getting the, the kind of results that I'm getting. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I, um, I look at it as really um, the way that the program was described long time ago it's a it's practical and so i have a i have a my my program is practical today not necessarily spiritual but it's practical it's the things that i do and i feel much i'm very excited about it i i love aa i love uh uh, i'm very passionate about um you know working within alcoholics anonymous for change um it's just it's an exciting time um to be in in aa And, and and i hope that we'll see a lot more newcomers come in um, as we be, begin to have more of these secular uh, meetings, uh, yeah, that would be great. I, I I still find myself going to regular meetings also. Yeah, but with a with a bit of a different, um, a, I suppose approach. So mm-hmm. on the one hand, yes, I want to be there. I want a fellowship. Uh, I want to hear the new man's story. I mean, there's nothing like a fresh recollection of the way things can be. To, um, when you're drinking to, to help keep you sober. But also, there are so many young people, um, and, and you can see them staring off into space or they don't necessarily care about that repetitive dogmatic message where everybody's mm-hmm. share sounds just like the guy before. Mm-hmm. And, and on occasion, when it comes up, I, I'm not militant and I don't push mm-hmm. my stuff out there any more than I like having it pushed on me. But I'll mention that that I'm an atheist mm-hmm. and that I'm sober uh, for the last six years and that I have a good life. And if you are, uh, you know, not capable of uh, believing in a supernatural, there's a place for you here, too. Good for you. Yeah, um, that that you can do this. And mm-hmm. I've had young people um, come up to me uh, after the meeting many, many times uh, and, and let me know that that share changed things for them. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it made them feel, well, one guy in particular said it made me feel like this was possible yep. for me. Yep. And I, I think that there's a, you know, misimpression in Alcoholics Anonymous that we that don't believe somehow converted to non-belief in the same way that others may have converted to faith. And right. that's not the case. Mm-hmm. This is a gradual process that happens to some of us based on the information 
that we take in. And and it's not the same thing as a a conversion. We are this. We can't be anything other than this. That's absolutely the truth. I I, I feel that way. I think think that this is just the way I am. I've always been this way. Um, For me, I was kind of fortunate growing up not to be in in any kind of religion. So I never really cared that much, I guess, about religion. I I tried to be religious or whatever. But it wasn't really until I got into AA that I became um, so godly, so godly, where I had to pray all the time and everything. Um, but uh, so it was a gradual thing for me to get out of that. You know, it was a very gradual evolution of thought. But once I arrived to that point of complete acceptance of my atheism, I was very comfortable with it, and I was able to reconcile AA with that without any problem whatsoever. Um, but in the rooms themselves, it was not so easy to express that. No, it's it, it's not. It's um, but you know, I I look at the the movements of the past that have been really important. For example, the civil rights movement, and I look at the um, um, LGBT community, right. and I I I um I can't help but think that that to some extent, when when in a meeting, I need to take one for the team. And what, what I mean by that is that I put my atheism out there when appropriate, uh, not to convince or sell anybody, just this is part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and part of me feels like I have a responsibility to do that because it, it, it becomes uh, one more person you know who mm-hmm. seems to have their act together, who's not angry, you right. know, and happens to be a non-believer as well. Yeah. And and to some extent, um, I feel like I may be part of the the um, early group of people in Alcoholics Anonymous that I I hope will grow in number, not through conversions of believers, mm-hmm. but through broadening the door to non-believers to make it acceptable and um, okay and not unusual yeah. and and uh, bad. To be a non-believer and also be a good AA member. Yeah, that's a it's an important thing to go to those regular meetings and, and to be honest um, like that. Um, you know, that's that's one of the drawbacks, I guess, about having a lot of the secular meetings available because it it, it kind of puts us takes us apart from everyone else. So they're not actually seeing us. You know, they got their thing and we got our thing. But if we can integrate with those other meetings and they can see that hey, we're really not that different. Yeah, this this program um, can work for both both ways. Yeah, and I, I you know, uh, I don't want to change it for them. No, you're right. But I, yep, I would either. like to see it tolerant for of all. Yeah, because you know, ultimately, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking, a- right. and and there are many people with a desire of all. Or no belief systems at all, and when we begin to um, close that, we begin to stop doing the the basic fundamental thing that Alcoholics Anonymous requires, which is mm-hmm. helping others, putting yeah. your hand out, uh, being the one who's there for for the new guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a challenge, isn't it, to go to uh, uh, open meetings. Uh, it's, it's a challenge and, um, you know, you can't, you can't necessarily share without having a number of, of sort of fundamental people follow you 
and mm-hmm. feel the need to clean up your mess and get everybody back into, you know, their correct way of thinking. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if we don't, who will? Right. And yes, it's uncomfortable, but isn't it being of service? It is. Isn't it taking yeah. one, you know, t- t- placing yourself in a relatively less than comfortable situation for the yeah. benefit of humanity? And I, I, um, I'm very humanist in my, my, my views. I, I feel like it's, it's my responsibility to add something to the benefit of our species. And, and this is just where I am and, and what mm-hmm. I can do. It's a small thing. Uh, but it's my thing to be the guy who embraces the person or makes it comfortable for the person who, who is incapable of dogmatic belief. Yeah. I like to see that. We have a young woman in our group when, who, when she first started coming, she, um, she 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 grew up in a very fundamentalist religious fundamentalist family so she was abused by religion and she couldn't stand regular aa meetings absolutely couldn't stand them so she came to our group exclusively for a long time but now she goes to regular traditional aa meetings and is quite comfortable and she's recently come out as an atheist in those groups and it's been an interesting experience for her but it's been um, amazing for me to watch her development and watch her growth and to see that she has this um, comfort level now of going to these meetings and being herself. And you know what? That's doing a service because those other people in that meeting are going to say, wow, this, it's, this is a whole, you know, this is, this is a broad um, highway that we travel. This is really open to to uh to people like me yeah it's it's not easy being that person though it's not comfortable Mm -mm. it's not Mm -mm. comfortable to be despised no it's not comfortable to be discriminated against i never thought i would be in a position in life where i would experience discrimination uh but you can experience discrimination in alcoholics anonymous by mentioning that you don't happen to believe what they believe yeah, I've actually been harassed in a, a kind of just a stupid way. Somebody staring me down with a mean look. <laughs> but then we've had other people in our group where um, they would have uh, these calls. Someone would call them on the phone and say, um, it ain't AA without God. And then they, they would hang up the phone. So that kind of harassment we've experienced. But um, we can deal with that. I mean, that's not a big deal. I can handle it from the individual members. But AA itself um, is where it, it, you can't. We we, we just have to. Um, I, I guess I, I care about the service structure, and I want to make sure that AA itself, that we have um, conference-approved literature, that we have um, pamphlets that make it clear that um, there is a secular approach to this well, what, that, that is perfectly in keeping with our tradition what what's interesting is the pamphlets now i picked one up just the other day and mm-hmm. and it said in the pamphlet i don't remember which one but it said that um that uh we were not a religious organization mm-hmm. uh that um a people of all faiths or no faith were welcome and then uh on the very next page it talked about um, God, 
mm-hmm. and the necessity of a higher power. And it, yeah. it's a conflict within itself as well. Yes, we're broad, roomy, inclusive, and tolerant, but here are these uh, steps, these musts, things, things that you have to do um, that are not broad and inclusive uh, always. The, the, the person, <clears throat> the person that left your message, mm-hmm. I don't want to be him. No. Uh, I don't want to have that kind of resentment, um, that would keep me thinking after a meeting, uh, about an individual, mm-hmm. uh, that I had to set straight. Yeah. And, uh, it's unfortunate because I respect that person's, um, ability uh to think what they want to think yeah it's just a a, a fear of uh, they feel threatened something that they care about is that they feel is being threatened and they shouldn't feel that way but you know that's what it is it's just fear yeah. but yeah it doesn't happen that often i mean most most people in aa are pretty cool and, and tolerant especially when i when i'm involved with the with service work i get involved with the district here in the area and boy, everybody is just totally accepting. They don't care. All they care about is, you know, are you going to help um, with this project that we're working on? Yeah. You know, they don't care about what you believe or don't believe. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, there's, I, I think there's two classes of us. There's, there's those who have been around for a while and, and, and we're sober and we're confident and stable in that. And, and for me, I have to ask myself, you know, what do I want to see in AA? And then I need to be that. I need to be mm-hmm. that tolerant, open person, that person that, um, lets others know that, Hey, there's a place for you here too. Yeah. Yeah. So you're pretty comfortable now with your program and going to, uh, traditional meetings and, and being who you are. Well, yeah, I wouldn't say that, that that's comfortable. Okay. So I'm comfortable with the, the secular meetings that I go to. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I don't take complete comfort from regular meetings. No, because okay. you can't, there are parts of yourself that, that I do, but you, you know that when you share them, you're going to be corrected, uh, yeah. Per, per, yeah. potentially, um, approached after the meeting for somebody to set you straight. Mm-hmm. Um, that the next three shares are going to be about, you know, right. why you're wrong, dirty and bad. Right. right. So I wouldn't say that it's, it's comfortable because there's always that I care about other people and, mm-hmm. and I care about being comfortable in a place being myself. And, and I know I'm not going to get that. Right. And so there's always that trepidation or that sense that, okay, I'm going to do this. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna take some hits for it. Mm, I hear you. Okay. And so I, I wouldn't say it's comfortable as much as I would say that it, it's necessary so that, uh, the new man, um, who, who's not capable of the, the purely dogmatic method, um, mm. sees an example of, of AA as well that, that perhaps they can, they can accept. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's, it's, you know, being what I want to see. Okay. Uh, the other, you know, class is the, is the, the brand new people and, mm-hmm. and the brand new people, um, they are changing. Mm-hmm. 
the society is changing. I mean, the fastest group, growing group, uh, religious group is those who have none. Mm-hmm. Uh, demographically, for according to the Pew Research Institute, mm-hmm. if, if we're going to remain relevant and truly helpful to the suffering alcoholic, um, then we've got to have a message that is, is broad and inclusive. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think that's probably a pretty good place to uh, kind of wrap things up. I mean, that's a good message. Um, so, um, so how tell me just to kind of finish things up a little bit. How did you learn about um, the websites and Agnostic AA and, and all that? Did well, it, I mean, I think I used the same uh, tools that that, uh-huh. that so many of the younger people are using today, right. which is you 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 start down a um, you know, a path of inquiry, want, right. wanting to know. And right. so you start researching on the internet and one thing yep. leads to another. And, and yep. your podcast was, was out there and something yep. I found I started listening to. And I, as a result of yours, I found uh, a couple other secular mm-hmm. websites, mm-hmm. um, that were helpful as well. Well, I guess that's why they need to be out there then. Cause I, I mean, I, I believe that too. That when, when, when I started my group here in Kansas City, um, I put up a website for our group because that's how I learned about this. You know, I was like, is there anyone else out there like me? So you Google, you know, and that's how you find these sites mm-hmm. and so forth. And that's the very first thing that young people do is they go say, okay, I'm going to check out AA and they're going to put this, put this in the, uh, you're going to Google AA or whatever. They're going to say, Oh boy, I wonder if there's a place for us non-believers. And that's how they find us. So well, and that's how they find us, but they need to find us in, in the meetings as well. Yeah, um, true. You know, otherwise, you know, I, I, I hear about you. I go to a mm-hmm. meeting. I have an entirely different, completely dogmatic, non-inclusive experience. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I need fellowship. I need uh, the support of other physical human beings with a strong desire never to drink again as well. Yeah. And um, I, I can get a lot from podcasts, from information, mm-hmm. from reading. But there's mm-hmm. I keep picturing that picture of the man on the bed. And mm-hmm. there's some transmission that occurs. Uh, one alcoholic talking with, working with, meeting another alcoholic human being in the space that they're at um, mm-hmm. that has some some kind of power for me and I yeah. think for others too and I think I think it's it's necessary. So I, I, I hope to be a part of the the, the change to Alcoholics Anonymous that uh, gets I don't know if it's getting back to but but becomes mm-hmm. more tolerant of uh, as the literature says that we are. Yeah and it looks like you are. Looks like you no, are trying trying to <laughs> Well thank you Mike. It's been a pleasure. It's been very nice talking to you. We'll have to talk again sometime. My pleasure John thank you so much well that's it for another episode of aa beyond belief the podcast we'll be back soon enough so until then take care and be well